Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. I'm sure that some of y'all, when y'all came in here seeing a bowl of water, thought we were going to be having a foot washing service and said, nope, (laughs) my feet aren't ready to be washed by somebody else. We will be having one of those one of these days. If you could get your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 127. If you want to split your Bible in half and just go back a few pages or forward a few pages, you should be able to find it. Psalm 127. While you're turning there, just want to review some of the fun that we had on Friday night. We had our cornhole tournament. Show of hands, how many of you showed up, turned out, threw, threw some bags and had some fun? Uh, did you have fun? It was good. Wasn't it neat to kind of just fellowship that way? Uh, we, uh, those who didn't hang around long enough or didn't know, uh, our tournament champions, uh, Pastor Ethan and Brittany Cheryl, were, they were a, a team, and uh, apparently Pastor Ethan had to beat his wife in order to become the champion. They were, she was on the other team. So I'll talk to him about mercy and grace um, one of these days. He won. He won his wife? Yes, he did. Yeah, well, I'm really uh, glad to be back in the pulpit. Pastor, or Brother Austin was preaching last week. He's our student minister and grateful for him. Uh, but this week we're going to be in a quick two-week series called Like Arrows, Raising Kids Who Love the King. And you're going to see where we get the name of this in a little bit. But let me just ask you, uh, what is the very first value that we list every time that we say our values? Christ-centered families. We say that we value it. We've preached on every other value except this one. And so I'm thinking that it's about time. We say that we value Christ-centered families, and I think that to kick off this year, the Lord's leading is putting this in the forefront of my heart and mind, um, mainly because I feel very inadequate to do it and want to be selfish and study God's Word on parenting. But here's the thing. Um, Typically, when I have a sermon series on this, or like sometimes like on marriage, I I, I get some sad responses and I get some typical responses. Um, The first response that I often get is, oh, geez, this isn't going to apply to me at all. Well, I, I don't have kids. Right? I, don't, I don't even come across them any day. Well, well, you, sure, right? Maybe this won't apply to you in that regard. But uh, maybe you have grandkids that you're around often. Maybe, I don't know, uh, have you seen our church? You see how many of those little things walked out of here? That was, that's half of them. The other half are back there in a cage. Like, not in a cage, but they're in a room. <laughs> I mean, have you seen how many kids we have among us? It it takes a village to do that, right? And my goodness, so so it's going to be hard for you if you expect to dive deep into this church family and have nothing to do with kids. Not only that, but if you're serious about following Jesus, one of the things he asks of us is to make disciples. So if you are serious about generational discipleship, finding someone who's younger than you and mentoring them, you're probably going to have a day when they become parents and you yourself can be equipped to do just that. So sure, you can find all sorts of reasons to say this doesn't apply to you and I will match every single reason to say, oh, but it does. 
But on, on the flip side of this, I also get some pretty sad, heartbreaking responses. I, I, I get responses about how this subject is pretty painful for people. I've known women who don't come to church on Mother's Day because they couldn't be mothers. I know people who wanted kids but could never have them. I know people who had kids but had them taken away. Grandparents who were caring for their grandkids and government intervened in a wrong way. Or maybe it pains you because you had your shot and you're looking at your kids now and thinking, where did I go wrong? For a lot of people, this subject is hard to talk about. So I, I, I want to acknowledge that on the outset. And I'm praying that God would heal your heart. I'm praying that God would heal whatever's broken in with you. And, and, and even there, I would pray. I'm praying that God would use His truth to still encourage you. Because, to be honest, I don't think it's ever too late. I don't think it's ever too late. But I also think that that there are things happening in the world right now, there's things happening in our culture that just absolutely demand that we take the time to study God's Word about raising up kids who love the King. There's absolutely every need going... I mean, my goodness, it is an insane world. You know, I was doing some research and found a a Barna survey from 2017, and it said that 80% of current parents indicated that they thought parenting, they think parenting is more difficult now than it was for their parents. Now, you can kind of argue that, right? You can kind of see that. I mean, think about it. When you think about technology and social media, like those powerhouses of culture have drastically captured minds. Uh, Most of you didn't grow up going through a pandemic. Our kids have. We have this increasing lack of common morality among society today. We have this growing confusion about just basic human identity. So yeah, absolutely, I think, I think there's good reason for that. There, 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 there's, yeah, it makes sense. It might be a bit more difficult than a generation in the past, but... One of the things I found in the survey, which I thought was kind of ridiculous, was that apparently half of the parents that were surveyed think that the world is more dangerous now than it was in generations in the past. And I said, really? Are you serious? More dangerous now than in the past. Do you realize that at one point in history, baby gates weren't even a thing? You know when they were first invented, at least when the first patent form came out? 1906. That means how many thousands of years did we deal with parents saying, oops, <laughs> my kid just went down there, right? Like, how many, that's thousands of years, and it took that long just to, to make a baby gate, right? Guys, I mean, generations ago, kids would die from unknown diseases that now just have a simple cure through a shot or something. Like, like... I know we joked about it with the Oregon Trail, but kids actually used to die of dysentery. It was a real thing. 
I'm tr- trust me, now it is much more safe physically, but goodness, I don't think it's much more safe spiritually and inwardly. I would argue that right now it is more dangerous to raise a child than it has been in the sense of truth and morality and identity and goodness. And, because those things just aren't shared anymore among our culture. So the question that we're really needing to ask is how do we raise kids who love the king? How do we raise kids whose heart is directed towards Christ that have a living faith in a faithless world? I mean, you can, you can go to Google and you can type in those words and you will find millions of articles and journals and blog posts on just how to do it, right? Listing out all sorts of strategies and all sorts of theories came across one dad who said, well, before I got married, I had six theories about how to raise children. Now I have six children and no theory. <laughs> but instead of turning to Google, how, we, how about we turn to God? What, is, what does Scripture say about raising kids to love the king? Whether you're a grandparent, a parent, whether you're a guardian, whether you're a teacher, whether you're somebody who just happens to walk by a kid, in a church family. We need to know the answer to this question if we're going to be serious about being church family together. Now with that, we're going to start at the outset with a basic assumption, a general assumption implicit, I think, in the conversation. You can't pass on what you don't have. You see what I mean? Like you, you, It's hard for you to pass along to the next generation, what you don't have in your estate, right? It's hard for a child to inherit something from you that you don't possess yourself. So in one sense, it's going to take one to make one. So, so for parents who think, man, I really want my kids to grow up with strong faith in Christ, but you don't have any care about your own faith, then I think you've got the equation backwards. You're putting the cart before the horse, So it really is going to take one to make one, but I'm thinking that we all get that, right? That that's kind of implicit in this conversation, that that parents who care about raising kids who love the king themselves love the king. But what does Scripture say about this? Well, that's why we're in Psalm 127, because it's a great place to start. When the Old Testament were actually in the context of the songs of ascent. These are songs that were used in corporate worship that they would share and sing to one another as they made steps towards the courts. And, and some of them were written by David. Others don't have authors. But it looks like uh, there's some debate, but they think pretty, it, it, that this is a psalm written by Solomon himself, the son of David. So it... It's ironic, though, because in corporate worship, these other psalms were worshipful. This one is wisdom. So there's wisdom in the context of worship. And, and let me just go ahead and tell you that it's kind of broken up into two parts, that if you were to read it on the outset, you would probably think they just don't have anything to do with each other. Part one and part two, they're just kind of separated, not, not relating to one another, but but I'd say that they're more intertwined than you think. The first part, Psalms, uh, verses 1 and 2 in Psalm 127, kind of talks about how we can avoid vanity in life. And then part 2 kind of talks about a solution to the vanity. Like what's of true value? What's of true significance? And so with that outline, let me start reading Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to the late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And all God's people said, Amen. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I will just go ahead and on the outset say that verse 1 often gets abused by pastors. Unless the Lord build the house, the labors labor in vain. That's not about church, right? Although I do think it is still, the truth still is there, right? We need the Lord to build this house. But this is talking about two fundamentals in life, creating and conserving, building and protecting. And it says building a house, building a house here. The house can be more than just the construction, the residence that you reside in. No, it's actually the same word that Joshua uses when he says, as for me and my, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house. So like the residence, the building itself, yes, you can leverage that to the service of the Lord. But he didn't just mean the building. He talked about the family inside of it. Those who dwell in that house and it also, it can also mean the domain over which you have been entrusted. That space that you have been given by God, you're going to make it serve the Lord. So you can labor all you want to build up your house physically or your home, your family, or, or even your domain and, and it also says you can, you can stay up late and watch into the night to protect it all. But what's the truth that it presents? If the Lord doesn't build the house or watch over the city, every human effort is vanity. It's useless. As the Lord is absolutely essential for even the most basic human tasks. Like, you need the Lord to go grocery shopping. But notice how the response isn't. Notice how the, the author doesn't respond, right? Like, like, there could be an argument that says, well, um, well if the Lord's going to do it, then I'm just not going to post watchmen. If the Lord's got to do it, then I'm not going to build anything, Right? No, no, the, the solution is not to just say, I'm going to stop all my work and effort and, 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 and just give up, and if the Lord's going to do it, he'll do it, right? No, that's, that's actually counterintuitive. The solution is do all that you can and all that you should do, but don't you dare fix your trust in what you've done. Guys, nothing you do will prove effectual unless the Creator puts forth his power. There's a saying from a military officer, English military officer called uh, Oliver Cromwell. He said to his men, put your trust in God, my boys, and keep your gunpowder dry. The two can go hand in hand. They are not contradicting one another. They're not paradoxical. 
Now the psalm from verse 1 heads into verse 2. And it starts to warn those who just work way too much, thinking that their long hours of working and laboring is what's going to bring them success and prosperity that they're seeking. Verse 2, look at it. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Guys, you can work as hard as you want to build a legacy, to leave a mark, to prove yourself successful. And in that line of thought, you can take on a generic contemporary life that many people do. You can take on more work that you can handle. You can grasp onto additional opportunities out of greed. You can become enslaved to this impossible schedule. So much so that your mealtimes, which were supposed to be times of, of refreshing fellowship, have just turned into hurried pit stops to get back onto the race. That's why it says you eat the bread of anxious toils. Your meals are just you eating, gobbling up real quick so you can get right back to work, so you can prove yourself successful. And did you notice how he corrects this? He says people can exhaust themselves with all their futile attempts, but he says the Lord blesses those he loves with sleep. In other words, it actually, I think it means this. While there's people who just labor all day long, get up early and go to bed late, they can exhaust themselves doing that. They can earn their bread that way. But God gives just as much to those He favors even while they sleep. But can you see the problem that this first part is posing? It's about building, it's about protecting, it's about striving and laboring. In one, in one sense, part one is leaving us with the question, how are you defining significance? How are you working to leave a legacy? Are you doing that? Are you working harder? Are you taking on more? And it's saying, all of the, you can do all that, but it's going to be vain. Unless the Lord does it. But then verse two offers a solution to that. It offers a way that we can leave this sort of impact that kind of far outlasts us. And you know what that answer is? Children. Children. Part one with that context, verse three. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Guys, children are a heritage, an inheritance. It's, it's, they're a generational possession. The same word gets used of the promised land. It gets used of vineyards and, and vast fields. They are invaluable possessions for a family. And children are that. God even calls them a reward. They're even a reward. And as much as you may think otherwise, and as much as you're experiences at 3 a.m. with a sleepless child keep shouting to you, nope, nah, nope, I don't see it. Even if you were to count all the times that you've been pooped on and to count all the times that you've been screamed at by your teenager, the reality is scripture is very clear. Children are a blessing, not a burden. It's supposed to be up there. Children are a blessing, not a burden. Can you agree with that? 
sure, like you can care and raise up kids. You can increase the, the burdens of your responsibility towards them. But goodness, the kids themselves are not the burden. They are the blessing. So like when, when God gives the gift of a child to parents or to adoptive parents or foster parents or grandparents, too many parents these days see that it's just increasing the burden of life. Because when they see that child, instead of seeing the blessing, they see the obstacle. They see that kid as an obstacle to their plans for their own joy. But guys, Scripture, if you rightly read it and rightly believe it, will never allow us to believe that a kid is a burden. It'll always shout out, Hey, blessing! No, that's, that's a blessing. You don't, you don't get to say anything otherwise. Blessing there. Why? Well, Psalm 127 verses 4 and 5 tells us exactly why. Look at verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Guys, Scripture says that kids are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Now, y'all didn't know this was going to be Prop Sunday. I didn't know either. I didn't know they were doing that. Don't worry, I will not be shooting anything. (laughs) Children, I'm going to put this down right. I'm just going to do this safe thing. Children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I feel pretty powerful right now. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Hmm. So children are like a weapon. Okay. I can see that. You know how this works, right? All right, who's got the apple? All right, Dave. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So this weapon is designed as a long-distance weapon, right? It's not necessarily meant for close-quarters combat in war, unless you get really proficient with it and you put some knives on the end and you can turn into Legolas, right, from Lord of the Wings. No, but this is designed to enhance an attack into places that you yourself can't go. It's an offensive weapon in war, and it's propelled by the strength and the accuracy and the aim of the archer. Because you can send arrows into places that you just can't get to yourself, and you can propel that influence far beyond what you can do alone. So like cultural critic Neil Postman, he said once, the children are like the living messages that we send into a time that we will not see. As our children can hit targets much further than we can reach. You know, one mother once said that, she said this, whenever I hold my newborn in my arms, I used to think that what I said and did to him could have an influence not only on him, but on all whom he met. 
Not only for a day or a month or a year, but for all eternity. That her direct relationship with that one child could have impact on thousands of people for a really long time. You know who said that? Rose Kennedy. John F. Kennedy's mom. As God has great plans for our children. He's got targets that he's designed for them to hit. In other words, as parents, we have to have this perspective that we are raising them to release them. We are raising them to let them go. And Lord willing, they will be propelled with accuracy under strength. Guys, when a warrior heads into a battle with a bow and arrow, there's two main concerns that he has with this weapon. First, it's with the quantity of arrows, because obviously if the enemy's vast, he needs to be able to kind of pull out an endless supply of them. So he's concerned about quantity, but he's also concerned about quality. He wants to make sure these things are too. So let's just talk about the quantity portion for a second. He wants to make sure he's got a quiver full of arrows. Let's talk about the quantity thing first. Did you ever come to realize that if you were to take an honest assessment of Scripture as parents, Scripture would just tell you, have a lot of kids. Have a lot of kids. Make a bunch of them. Verse 5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. I mean, there's what? One, two, three, four, five, six arrows in here? That's a nice family. The cultural mandate that God gave before the fall in Genesis 2, He said, be fruitful and multiply. Basic math right there. Guys, do you remember back in the day? Actually, you know what? Let me ask this. How many of you are from a family where you had at least six or seven brothers or sisters. Yep, Nelson. Yep, yep. My grandma was one of 11. That was just like two generations ago, right? And that was normal for a, for a lot of people. It was, it was a normal thing to have more than, uh, several, more, more than five, more than six kids. But now, two is enough. Three's kind of uncomfortable. Four's pushing it. Five is crazy, I've got a friend who's got seven kids. They drive a bus. (laughs) Guys, Scripture is very clear that we are to fill our quiver full of arrows. Having a bunch of kids and actually taking responsibility for them, for their formation is actually one of God's greatest blessings in life. And I'm not just saying that because I think it. It's because it's here. Now, sure, they're going to be a handful at first, but eventually they'll become a quiverful. And our primary role, our primary blessing as parents and, and whatnot is, is, is to have a bunch of these. But not only that, It's to also form them as well, to craft them. So, 
the other concern of the warrior wasn't just, it's not about a matter of quantity. You can have a bunch of really terrible arrows, but he wants to make sure that every arrow has some key features on it, some key elements, some key components that'll make it impact what he's trying to accomplish. You see, that's just it. Like, these just didn't grow on a tree somewhere that that you just kind of plopped up out of the ground and said, all right, I've got my kids. They did their thing. They're good. No, No, arrows have to be crafted. They have to be formed. They've got to be put together. And so the warrior isn't just looking for a high number of arrows. He's looking for quality of arrows, ones that he's taken the time to fashion together, and he can trust that when he releases it, it'll fly straight and true. You see, the parents also have the primary responsibility of shaping a child into maturity so that this child can be released into life. Parents, I, um, I realize that in different cultures, this number might be different, but in our culture, we've got about 18 years to form our arrows. And I'm finding out that that goes a lot quicker than it feels. We've got 18 years to form an arrow that when you aim that arrow at God's heart, it's going to land there. So what do you think as parents is one of our primary things that is asked of us when it comes to forming a child? What's the first and foremost, most important thing that crafting a child requires of a parent? Is it know-how? Heck no. No. How many of you, raise your hand as parents, how many of you, when you got into parenting, really quickly found out, you ain't got a clue? Yeah. Yeah, you just, you're like, I'm just going to learn as I go. That's how it's designed. No, it's not experience. Though experience helps. It's not perfect knowledge of crafting a child. No, no, no. The first and foremost thing that God asks of us as parents when it comes to crafting a child is simply time. It's simply time. You know that one precious resource that everybody has the same amount of in each day, but once you spend it, you can never get it back? Guys, you cannot shape arrows by tending to your chore list or by always saying no whenever they want to play, when they want to be read to. You say no because you've got some concerns about the state of your home or, or you have this massive list of, of work uh, from work that you've got to accomplish? Guys, that is literally prizing your productivity above parenting. And that's what verse 2 is arguing is vanity. It takes time, and I promise you, I promise you right now, with most of us, I think, have parents who are 12 and under, right? We've got a pretty large gathering of kids back there in that age group. And, 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 and they're always asked, my kids are always asking me, Dad, are you ready to play? Dad, are you ready to play? Dad, are you ready to do this? Dad, are you ready to do that? And, 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 and I have to teach them boundaries, sure, but I want to, as much as I can, say yes. 
Because I promise you that there's going to come a day when a shift happens. Right now, they're the ones asking for your time, but there will be a shift when you're the ones asking for their time. And you'll notice it. And it'll feel hard. You have to be willing from the outset to give your kids the attention and the time that they need to be formed. And when you do, when you give that time to your child, my encouragement to you would be to think about, as you spend that time focusing on five key elements, forming five key things within that child that will help that child be formed into a a straight and true arrow. Five key things. And some of these come from a book that I've been reading called The Art of Parenting. But the first key component that you need to be looking at as parents is the shaft. Can you say shaft? We will call that the child's character. It's their character. You see, the making of an arrow always starts with that. You can't put together anything else without it. It starts with the foundation of the shaft. It starts with the character of the child. That arrow, that shaft has to be straight and strong. Or else it could break upon impact, or it could wobble and miss its mark. And you know what's crazy is there are actually tools that can straighten a bent rod. And you know what it is? It's a little roller. You put the arc up, and you put it on a flat table, and you have this roller. And you just, hundreds of times. Which means character isn't shaped by breaking it. Character is shaped over long periods of times with gentle strokes. Guys, don't make the mistake that thinking and thinking that changing your kid's behavior is shaping their character. You can, you can work hard at changing all their behaviors. Stop that, do this, stop doing that, but it changed nothing in here. You've got to get after their heart. Changing their character will shape their behaviors. And you have to remember that when you're working on an arrow, I know that this will not be perfect. I'm not striving for perfection in this shaft, in this character. I am simply looking for strong and straight. That's the first thing that's required. That's one of the things that when you do invest time into your kids, I want you to be looking at character, shaping their character. There's a second component And it's the knock. Can you say knock? Knock. We'll say that that's a child's convictions. It's their core beliefs. On the back of every arrow is this little groove called a knock. And what that does is is it allows the, the, the archer to place the arrow onto the bowstring and it secures it there. So that whenever the archer releases it, the knock keeps it secure as the power transfers to the arrow. We as parents need to be carving out deep grooves of convictions, exposing our kids to truth day in and day out, exposing them to the deep truths of God and His character. Truths about themselves, truths about the world. 
They need to have some core convictions, and they need to own them. They can't just be yours. You have to work hard to convince your child of truth, and their convictions will shape them and hold them true when power transfers, when they're not under your control anymore, when you release them. If you fail to work hard at their convictions and form that groove, they will flop. They might even not be accurately released. They'll just kind of sidestep and fall. That's the second thing. There's a third component. It's called the fletching. Can you say fletching? fletching. It's these feathers back here. We'll call these relationships. The child's relationships. You see, the fletching on the back of the arrow, these feathers are designed to create drag at the back of the arrow so that the front stays in the front and the back stays at the back. Or else, if you didn't have the fletching... If you're without the feathers, it would literally just kind of go like this, and you never know what end you would end up getting. The fletching stabilizes the arrow in its flight towards its trajectory. Relationships will do the same thing. The relationships of a child will act as a guiding principle for them. Their relationship with God, their relationship with their godly parents, with their church family, with their pastor... All of those will help stabilize them as they fly. There's a fourth component too. It's called the cresting. Can you say cresting? We'll call this the child's identity. This is a child's identity. You see, nowadays you can go to a big box store and buy a bunch of different arrows that are made by different manufacturers and they've got their branding all over it and they're just mass produced. Back in the day, they didn't have a Dick's Sporting Goods. Every warrior was responsible for making their own arrows. Or they set aside a task of a, a, a small task force to form a ton of arrows before the war began. And what they would do when they made those arrows, it's so cool that these have them, they would put little branding marks on them called the cresting. They would either paint them on or they'd put a series of different colored strings. And so that when that arrow flew and it landed and it was somewhere, I won't go any further detail than that, they could pick that arrow and they could identify the maker. They could identify who that arrow belonged to and who made it. In the same way, we as parents have to be about forming our kids' identity, about making sure that they know exactly who they are, because that's the biggest question that's being asked these days, is it not? Especially when it comes to our gender and our, our biology, right? Those things don't get redefined. They're received. So you and I as parents have the responsibility to make sure our kids know the answer to the question, who am I? That's the fourth component. And obviously there's the fifth. What do you think it is? The point. Say the point. We'll call that the kid's purpose. You could also call it mission. Every arrow, if it's going to do what you want it to do, needs to have a point. 
Nowadays, you have those bow and arrow games at local places where they have like the big marshmallow on the tip, and it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't even stick. It doesn't even hurt, really. But, but these arrows, they've got, got a pretty big tip right there. It's called a broadhead. Now, whether it's a stone-chipped point or it's a broadhead like this one, Every arrow needs to have a point. It needs to have a vision, um, a, 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 a value on the impact that they can make in life. They need to know what they can do and what they're here for. And the sharper that tip is, the deeper it'll land. The more embedded into the target it'll be. Now, a lot of parents will take their arrow instead of releasing them into life, they'll go up to the target that they want and they'll just try to, I want you to do this for life. And they try to gain that control. It doesn't work that way. Shaping the kid's purpose. Understanding that their purpose isn't necessarily their talents or their passions, though those might help a little bit, but that their purpose really comes from the Lord. And in all of that, in paying attention to those things, you will form a straight and true arrow. Those are the five essentials, I'd say, for crafting an arrow, raising a kid who loves the king. It's the character, it's the convictions, it's the relationships, it's the identity, and it's their purpose. Take the time to shape those things. Now, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to go into how to do all of those things right now. But that is why we are having a Sunday school starting up February 5th. And I don't care who you are. If you're a parent of five kids or if you're a grandparent of one. If you're a single parent if you're somebody who just cares about raising up kids, if you're a volunteer in our children's ministry, I don't, I don't care. It's for you. And that is where we will talk about how, and much more, but we'll talk about how to shape and form those things in our kids. So pay attention to those announcements as they roll out. But I want to wrap it all up with just this one vital truth. It's one core conviction to keep it in the context, right? Once we release an arrow, after we've taken the time to form it, after, the time, after we've taken the time to pull it back and release it, do we as parents have ultimate control over where that arrow is going to go? We don't. We don't have control over the destiny of our kids. As much as you'd like to try to just shove them into the target that you have for them, it's not going to work. They won't stick. An arrow that is released from a bow will more likely stick in a target than one tried to push into with the hand. All we can do as parents is ultimately influence their direction, shape their quality, for accuracy and for strength, so that they'll fly straight and true. But we don't have control over the targets that our arrows hit, ultimately. Because the winds of culture can come in and push them off target, or a relationship can fall apart and it just begins to veer them out of the way. 
I mean, you can put all the time and effort into crafting your arrows carefully. You can be the best mom or the best dad that we know. But what has to happen for any of it to be successful, for any of this to have any kind of lasting impact? What's the psalm say? The Lord has to do it. The Lord has to craft. The Lord has to form. The Lord has to watch over. So so if we're going to take some of the wisdom from the first part, we'll add it to the second part. Simply this, unless the Lord forms the child, the parent labors in vain. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Unless the Lord forms the child, the parent labors in vain. So, So you remember that saying, trust the Lord and and keep your powder dry. Same thing. Trust the Lord and craft your arrows. Guys, partnering with God in the art of arrow crafting is, is going to be the only hope that you have for raising strong, wise children who are going to fly straight and hit the target that you aim them at, at the heart of God. And so we hit our knees We intercede for our kids day in and day out, no matter their age. Because again, I'm convinced it is never too late. No matter how old a child is, no matter how far that child may have wandered off to, God can reach any child, even yours. And so we pray. And so that's how we're going to close today. I can give you all these practical tips for how to form an arrow. We can have all these Sunday school classes. But it can all just simply be vanity if the Lord doesn't build the child. And so we're going to ask Him to do just that. And to help us believe that He can and to not trust in our own strength and efforts. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I realize that um, that even, even now there can still be some pain. Um, and, and, and maybe it's not just simply with some of the circumstances I described at the outset of this. Maybe it's because we're hearing these words and we're just being gutted because we aren't giving our kids the time or because we're not paying attention to the inward parts of their lives. We're just looking at their behaviors and and getting frustrated. Father, you, you know exactly why I needed this word because too many times I'll say no just so I can go knock something off of my to-do list because I feel too overwhelmed by all the things that I'm not getting done. And I confess that that's selfish and prideful and it's wrong. And I pray, Jesus, that you would shape your truth in our hearts that you would form us with this word, 
that kids are not burdens, they're blessings, and that our responsibility, our God-given blessing is found when we take the time to form them, their character, their convictions, to, to, to help guide them in their relationships, to help them know their identity, to help them know their purpose. God, I pray that, that we would be a, a, a church family dedicated to forming the next generation with these things, whether they are kids within our church or kids out in the community. Because, God, we, I mean, just statistically speaking, there are hundreds of kids in our community who have no parents taking care of them this way. Father, please allow your word to infiltrate our convictions so that we might live them out in our day and day lives. We do love you, and we recognize that even if we put in all these efforts, even if we become the best parent that we can know, it'll all be vanity unless you build and form the child. So would you please be forming our kids would you please be watching over them from a, a culture that wants to redefine them, from a society that wants to drag them off into all its vices? Watch over and build this house. pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would stand, I'd love to pray a prayer of benediction over you from Romans 11. And it says this, Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him be glory forever. And all God's people said? We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.